Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 112, Older Glaciations. Thanks for listening. Well, it's been a month since our last radio episode. I apologize. It is Saturday morning, June 24th, 2023. And I sincerely hope that everything's going well with you in your world. It's full summer here. Beautiful morning here on a Saturday morning. Liz, uh, my wife, is down in Nicaragua at a <laughs> yoga retreat. And so it's just me and Bijou kind of hunkered down here at the house. I'm continuing to work on geology, of course, and uh, throw in some yoga and some visiting with neighbors and FaceTiming with my mom and all sorts of stuff going on. But it's mostly a solitary endeavor, and that's mostly how I roll. I guess I'm an introvert, uh, even though it appears that I'm an extrovert with all these media outlet type operations. Weird way to start. Let's get into the geology. <laughs> um, actually, a couple other preambles before we get to the topic, which is older glaciations. I kind of forgot I had a radio podcast series, to be totally honest with you. Uh, it just doesn't cross my mind that much. But yesterday, I was on the receiving end of a audio experience, and I talked to Joey from Crime Pays But Botany Doesn't. I don't know if you're aware of Joey and his fine, very unique uh, YouTube channel and he has a podcast as well, radio episodes. Crime pays, but botany does not. So I heard from Joey out of the blue, I don't know, nine months ago, and that was a thrill because I, I regularly watch his botany stuff. He's foul-mouthed. He's self-taught. He's, he's a, a very unique cat. Uh, but we both are Midwestern guys, and I, I relate to him along those lines, and I relate to him in other lines as well. So we've been texting every once in a while back and forth when he sees stuff that I do and when I see stuff that he does. And anyway, um, he wanted to do a, a, an audio podcast with me, which was flattering. And so we had an interesting conversation, I think. And he we did it yesterday morning and he posted it a couple hours later. So if you want to hear me talking to Joey from that channel, that's a place to go. Um, another preamble is uh, the last episode that I did here, I was whining. I don't know if you caught it. It's called GSA Reno. I was whining. I was, I was down. I was depressed um, because I went to a GSA conference in Reno, Nevada, and a lot of the Baja BC geologists were in the room, and there was not a whole lot of interaction between those folks. And it bummed me out because I was devoting a whole winter's worth of programs to trying to change the dynamic of the conversation with these rather controversial discussions and different tectonic models. And I just couldn't believe I was sitting there and everybody was still talking past each other. Well, Basil Tickoff, the guy who's um, the main guy behind the uh, Penrose Conference in August, uh, with some of those same cats, heard the audio podcast and called me up and we talked a bit. And then he went with Stacia Gordon and a few others 
Will Matthews, the conveners of the conference, and Basil took my whining to heart. And so he took a bunch of the rigid stuff out of his Penrose format for August, and uh, he has asked me to be a moderator, at least in some form, um, on a couple of the days of the conference. So there's a life lesson there. If you complain and if you whine, you'll get your way. No, that's not the message. The message is it is encouraging to have folks not locked in to the way they want to do it and be open to suggestions. And my suggestion was rather extreme, but Basil took some of it to heart. And so I will be at this GSA conference. I will be um, part of the program at least a couple of the days or a couple of the afternoons and being kind of a moderator and trying to set a tone for inclusiveness and try to keep some sort of narrative uh, narratives going. And so I thank Basil for that. And uh, hopefully it happens uh, the way that we're discussing it at the moment. And that Penrose conference is closed uh, to the um, public and the Penrose conference is, you know, totally within the walls of that room. Um, no live streaming, no recording, nothing like that. However, I'm going to use my Starlink dish and set it up out in the backyard of this place, whatever. I don't even know the logistics of the place yet, but I do want to have some live programs in the evenings, maybe every night, and uh, maybe take a geologist every night from the conference. Uh, and these are geologists from all over the world and uh, have them interact with, with the live YouTube audience. So that's the tentative plan. So I need to start practicing more intensely with my live stream stuff involving the Starlink thing. And I'm going to probably do some of that this weekend now that I have a purpose for the Starlink thing. Okay, let's at the six-minute mark, let's get to the topic today. I have been rather locked in it's a phrase that I'm overusing lately, but I, I just used it again right now. I paused because I wanted to come up with another phrase. What's another way to say it? I have been obsessed. I have been preoccupied. I have been diving deeply into the 1920s research and scientific papers written by J. Harlan Bretz. So this goes back to, if, 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 you, only can, if you only hear me uh, using the radio stuff, in other words, if you don't watch any of the video stuff that I do, totally fine, I understand, you're busy, and whatever. So if you're only keeping up with my stuff through this format, we go back two episodes in this radio series, and I had an episode called Spokane Glaciation? Question mark, And uh, I'm following up now with some of those things that I was asking two episodes ago. To remind you, I was stunned, and I'm still stunned two months later, that J. Harlan Bretz in the 1920s had an ice sheet more than 100,000 years ago south of Spokane, Washington. And he had that ice sheet parked just north of Davenport, Washington just north of Cheney, Washington. He's got that ice sheet, that Spokane ice sheet, that penultimate glaciation. Not the most recent, but the penultimate, the second to most recent. He's got that ice sheet parked right there at the head of these famous Ice Age flood channels that are carved through the deep Lussel Hills of eastern Washington. And by doing that, 
and by writing paper after paper, talking about Brett's now, for him to present that data, he says this Ice Age flooding is not younger than 20,000 years ago, and this Ice Age flooding through the Cheney Palouse Track and the Telford Crab Creek Track are coming directly out from the ice itself, subglacial flow. And all of his field relationships talk about a very large flood, he called it the Spokane Flood, that started quickly and ended quickly. And that's a far different story than the traditional Missoula floods discussion that has been on everybody's lips and minds for the last 50 years. So I'm not saying here that the Glacial Lake Missoula story is a farce, far from it. I'm not saying that uh, Missoula floods didn't happen, double negative. Uh, I'm simply saying that Brett's in the 1920s has the biggest flood, singular, happening earlier than 100,000 years ago with an ice sheet that is at a different position than the ice sheet in the Wisconsin time, which was younger than 20,000 years ago. Okay, well, that's where we left off last month with this Spokane glaciation story. So today's episode is called Older Glaciations. And, you know, I have had fits and starts because I've got other things going on at the same time. But um, so I get distracted, in other words, with, with a few other geology projects, which is fine. But I keep following my instincts to go back to this Brett stuff. In other words, I should be writing new episodes with Nick on the Rocks. We're filming some new stuff this summer. I, I should be sending emails to these new incoming freshmen that are joining geology at CWU. I should be doing all this geology stuff unrelated to Brett's. But I just keep slipping back into this Brett's track because it's fun. It's a mystery. And I continue to just try to grab references, find papers online, talk to fellow geologists by text, by email, everything else. So I'm reporting kind of on my work in progress lately, some of which I've shared on my YouTube channel, some which I've just discovered in the last 12 hours. So here goes. Sharon in Wenatchee, a longtime viewer, of the channel and listener of these audio podcasts has devoted probably hundreds of hours. I don't know how long it takes you, Sharon, to do this, but Sharon has been going through old newspapers online and doing all sorts of search engines for Brett's in the 1920s. And she has found a lot of newspaper articles that were either with Brett's directly or set up by Thomas Large a high school teacher in Spokane who was almost like the publicity person for Bretts. But the point is, all through the 1920s, J. Harlan Bretts is casually throwing out the idea that his Spokane flood happened 100,000 years ago or 125,000 years ago. And in 1923, I have no idea where he's coming up with that number. And I've lobbed it out to the audience and saying, can anybody figure out why he has that number? Is that a Milankovitch cycle number that was known in 1923? Is there some other way to keep track of time in 1923, a hundred years ago, for him to put a stamp a number on that Spokane glaciation? 
And again, the Spokane glaciation is producing the Spokane flood. And we're not talking about Glacial Lake Missoula as the source 125,000 years ago. Well, I've gotten into the marine isotope stuff a little bit, thanks to some viewer comments on YouTube and also some emails from folks from Europe and from North America. Thanks again to those folks. And I am aware that there was a tremendous global climate change about 130,000 years ago. That's the tail end of the marine isotope stage 6, MIS-6. And we go from a very cold time to a very warm time. And that's global, apparently. And so a new thought for me is, okay, so that's the penultimate ice, I guess. That's the, that's the second to most recent ice sheet that was major around the world. Marine isotope stage 6, 130,000 years ago. Well, do we really need to have a Spokane flood at the tail end of a cold time? And if that's true, shouldn't there be a Spokane flood 130,000 years ago in Europe as well? Shouldn't there be a version of Bretz's work with channeled scab lands in northern Europe? Is, was it a truly global, very fast melting of the ice sheet? Or, as Bretz was supposing before 1927, was there some sort of more local volcanic event in British Columbia that basically uh, dramatically melted the Cordilleran ice sheet over British Columbia and had all that water, the Spokane flood, come shooting out of these fire hoses along the southern margin of his Spokane ice sheet. And last week I drove all the way over to Davenport, Washington, which is uh, you know, a dozen miles to the west of downtown Spokane in John Stockton's house. And I was poking around on these uh, dirt roads in amongst these Palouse wheat fields uh, looking for what Brett's was seeing was the former Spokane ice front. And that landscape is subtle over there. I couldn't really... I even filmed a couple of intros, and then when it was time to really film the guts of the episode, I kind of gave up because I, I didn't really even have any outcrops to work with. To me, it just looked like a bunch of lus. It looked like a bunch of windblown silt that was like a, a pre-glacial landscape. But to Brett's, he had ways to put that ice margin there. So I need to go back to, you know, Mondovi, Washington, and uh, south of the Spokane River and investigate that further. But my point is, the themes I'm trying to decide is, first of all, is Brett's Spokane flood a Pacific Northwest only story? You would think it would be. And then is the 130,000 years ago a realistic number? Or is that more just of a global warming time and has really nothing to do with dating the Spokane flood? At some point, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because all I'm interested in is older ice at the moment. And I'm just trying to follow Brett's work. I've stopped, I'm up to 1928. So I'm, I, I'm with my reading, which is kind of chronological and in sequence with, with his work. 
He's had his ambush meeting in 1927 where he's embarrassed by all the USGS geologists in, in person at a meeting in Washington, D.C. And he's now writing papers that are specifically kind of uh, lashing out at his critics who all say that it's impossible to have a catastrophic flood of water. And they all think that it's just a bunch of gradual glacial rivers that are doing this carving and making these waterfalls and everything else. But Bretz is still, in 1928, talking about a Spokane glaciation and channels of water leading right up to the ice front of the Spokane ice. So I'm using 130,000 years ago as a kind of a placeholder date uh, for Bretz's Spokane flood. And I may get to my reading where Bretz finally says, look, all that stuff I did in the 20s was wrong. Please ignore it. I now realize this is all a younger than 20,000-year-old story and only Missoula water. But I wonder about that because even in Bretz's last paper, 1969, he has the Spokane ice sheet over Spokane. So I'm not... Um, I'm not anticipating totally abandoning this older ice story. So that gets me to the real guts of this episode here today, dear listener. I'm now pretty being pretty... Um, I'm being intentional about trying to look other places in Washington, other places in the Pacific Northwest. Even now I'm into the Rocky Mountains. And I'm trying to read about different generations of glacial ice that have been documented by glacial geologists, you know, in those areas. Basically from British Columbia to Washington all the way back to Montana and even Wyoming. And that has gotten me to a document that I just picked up yesterday from a friend, Carl Loquist. I went into his office. You know, he's into it as well. He's, he's in there working on a, you know, a Thursday morning in, in uh, June late June, school's out, and I'm going to try to read this, it's kind of dark in this room right now, but this, Carl lent me this uh, huge book, published in 1965, The Quaternary of the United States, a review volume for the 7th Congress of the International Association for Quaternary Research, edited by Wright and Fry, and I don't know Wright and Fry, but I, and this is Marty Katz's personal copy uh, from September of 1965. And Marty Katz was my next door neighbor, passed away a few years ago. But Marty was a longtime physical geography professor uh, who came to CWU in 1952 and passed away, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. I miss Marty. And he was a role model in many ways because he continued to be very interested in all this academic stuff even into his 80s and, and early 90s. But my point is, I've gotten to this, this INQUA Congress, as it's called, uh, and there's a series of these smaller, some of you might know about this, uh, there's these smaller volume, these little booklets. So there was this huge meeting of all these quaternary glacial geologists from around the world, but at least North America, in 1965, and these little booklets correspond to different field trips. So there were field trips uh, back east. There were field trips in the Midwest. There were field trips in the Rocky Mountains. And there was field trips in the Pacific Northwest. And this is just a meeting of the minds in 1965. And I'm just starting to get 
familiar with this Inqua stuff. I've, I've, I've always kind of run into it by accident. And occasionally an old-time geologist will talk about the Inqua volume or the Inqua papers or the Inqua field trips. But I'm now really seeing it with this huge volume. And then Carl loaned me all 12 or whatever they are of these old original little booklets that correspond to the field trips. So I'm letting you know that if you do watch the YouTube channel, I'm going to be doing a lot more with this Inqua stuff because there's a dynamite map that is showing Brett's Spokane ice front. It's showing Richard Foster Flint's ice front. Uh, and I'll save that for another day. But if you happen to know this volume, and I just read the title, uh, this enormous book, physically, it's an enormous book, page 234. I mean, this is a gold mine, page 234. And I'm going to try to read a little bit. I was just looking at, at this in the backyard like 30 minutes ago. So I can barely even read some of this in the lighting, but I'm going to try anyway. This is a table, table number one, entitled Correlation of Deposits and Events of the Cordilleran Region and the Columbia Plateau. And along the left margin... There's, we're keeping track of time. Now, this is 1965. Our dating methods are still rather rudimentary compared to what we have today, I think. But who knows if we're really on the leading edge of dating stuff now or not. But we're going back more than 50,000 years in calendar years. Okay, big deal. But the thing that's the gold mine is that it's a correlation diagram going from the Rockies to the Cordilleran Glaciation, to the Great Lakes, to the Columbia Plateau. Rustling with this big book. To the Pacific Northwest. And here's the main point. And this is the main guts of, of our meeting today here in audio form. I think this is Gerald Richmond, who I know very little about. But Gerald Richmond put this chapter together. And Richmond is saying, look, we've got this thing called the Wisconsin glaciation. Okay, fine. That's known kind of among North American geologists. But Richmond says the Wisconsin glaciation, which is younger than 25,000 years ago, is the same as the Pinedale glaciation, named after a place I presume is Pinedale, Wyoming, and that Wisconsin and Pinedale is correlative in the Puget Lowland to the Fraser Glaciation. And the Fraser Glaciation has individual stades or little pulses of ice advance. And those are names that I've roughly heard of, like the Evans Creek Stade or the Vashon Stade. And you're like, I'm losing it. I have no idea. Well, that's the point. I, I lose it, too. If there's just a bunch of these local names, I mean, this is just in geology in general. If there's a bunch of local names, and everybody has these little pet names, whether they're officially accepted or not in a scientific publication, how are you supposed to do any regional storytelling if everything is a bunch of local shorthand? I mean, what's an analogy? I don't know. But, like, it's frustrating to try to keep track of all these names of things happening at different times but at the same time, it is supremely satisfying and exciting, and that's where I am right now, by basically just using different colors of ink 
Like I have these ballpoint pens of different colors. No big deal. Humble brag. I got colored pens, baby. And I have red for any time that I'm doing something with constant glaciation. I am University of Wisconsin graduate. Go Badgers. Red. We're good. But now, every time I write out the word Pinedale or Wisconsin or Vashon or Fraser, I'm going to use red because that's all the same shit. That, that's all Wisconsin. That's all on Wisconsin. That's all younger than 20,000 years ago or younger than 25,000 years ago. But here's what I'm leading to. Lower in this correlation chart. Richmond in 1965 says, oh yeah, well, there is this thing that Brett's called the Spokane Glaciation. And it's older than 32,000 years ago. That's all he can do with the dating stuff. He's got it, you know, I don't know, kind of eyeball. It looks like something like, well, I'll say it this way. He at least has numbers 50,000, 45,000, and the end of the Spokane Glaciation 32,000 years ago. And he's got little approximately. So, you know, the, the, again, this is, this is almost 60 years ago now. So we can do better. But the point is, there are these old deposits, these old glacial tills, these old outwash gravels, and so on, these old soils that are clearly telling an older glaciation story. And you're like, okay, I don't know if I'm totally with you here now. Well, on this table, let me read everything in Spokane glaciation time. And for me, that's blue. Spokane glaciation is blue. Like the Gonzaga Bulldogs are blue. This is just how I keep track of this, okay? So the main message is, there's something called the Bull Lake glaciation. I've barely heard of it. Occasionally I hear somebody say it. I don't know what it means. Well, now I know that Bull Lake Glaciation is blue, according to this Richmond chart. The Bull Lake Glaciation in the Rocky Mountains is, on this chart, the same vintage as Brett's Spokane Glaciation. And now if we jump over to the Puget Lowland, that's the Salmon Springs Glaciation. Never heard of it, but I'm interested. Some of the Palouse Formation on the Columbia Plateau is of Spokane Glaciation Vintage. <laughs> I got this light behind my head. I'm like trying to move my head so I can read this tiny print. My, my point is, I, I, I'm just getting started learning about older glaciations in the Pacific Northwest. And I have a motive for doing that. Because I want to know how many times the ice sheet crossed the border from Canada into Washington. And according to the company line from the last 50 years, it came down once. That's all we're worth talking about. This is the company line. Yeah, everything's younger than 25,000 years ago. I don't know why you're thinking about this older ice. We barely know anything about it. This is the company line. This is the conventional message. Like, basically, don't, don't spend any time thinking about these older ice sheets. There's hardly anything left. Those deposits are, are gone, mostly. And in the few places we have them, we don't know what to do with them. And 
a few current geologists are literally saying, it's not worth your time. That stuff was poorly mapped. It's not even glacial till. It's all the outwash gravels from the Missoula story. Well, I'm trying to be open-minded. And I'm listening to J. Harlan Bretz, who, as far as I can tell, has no peer with mapping glacial deposits. Now, why can I say something like that? Well, in part, I can say it because this guy mapped ice sheet deposits in Michigan, in Seattle, on the Columbia Plateau, in Illinois. And it's not like he's just driving through and making a couple of maps. This guy is walking. He's walking. I, I should count up how many weeks of walking this guy has done. J. Harlan Bretz in the 19-teens and the 20s. I want to listen to this guy. He's walked it out. He's always with grad students or high school students when he was doing his mapping in the Puget Lowland. Like This guy knows what these relationships are. He has seen this, and he's put this story together of this Spokane glaciation. I'll leave you with this. I mentioned the Nick on the Rocks. I don't know if you're familiar, but they're little, you know, less than 10-minute video episodes that show on PBS uh, here across the Pacific Northwest and up into Canada. And the pandemic hit, and we stopped production, and, and, and since that time, the camera guy has retired and the producer retired. So I have a whole new uh, team with KCTS uh, 9 in Seattle. And uh, we've gotten to the point where I'm out filming with a new, a new videographer. He's a young guy, Brady. I really like him. He's, he's, he's a dream, really. And I'm, we've decided we're going to do a Mount Baker episode uh, in a couple of weeks. So instead of working on Brett's, I should be writing that Mount Baker episode. Well, I got to the point where I was reading Dave Tucker's uh, Geology Underfoot Western Washington book, and Dave Tucker has an excellent chapter on Mount Baker volcanic field. And you know what Dave Tucker's saying about the earliest volcanic deposits in Mount Baker? Before Mount Baker Cone was built? There's this thing called the Kolshan Caldera, which I know hardly anything about. I'm not even totally sure how to pronounce it. Kolshan. It's 1.15 million years old. It's a rhyolitic explosive caldera, similar in scale to the crater of Crater Lake in southern Oregon. But you know what the wild part is? Tucker says, if you look carefully at the tephra, at the ash, at the material that exploded out of that Kolshan caldera. It exploded under an ice sheet. <laughs> an ice sheet. And he says in his little book, and I need to follow up with him, I guess, that there was a huge ice sheet uh, over northern Washington 1.15 million years ago. Now, that's not on this table. This table only goes back 50,000 years. How much do we know about glaciation going back more than a million years ago? Anything? You're like, well, good luck. You're not going to find any tell from a million years ago. Okay, well, you're probably right. But here's a completely new way to document an ice sheet. You've got a volcano erupting under a glacier. It's burning a hole in the middle of an ice sheet. Isn't that a, a visual to use? 
So I got to work with Backcountry Gary, who's hosting us up there when we're filming in mid-July, and uh, work out a little script. But I'm probably going with that for the hook of the Mount Baker volcano. Not really the cone that we have today, but this million-year-old explosion of a caldera similar to Crater Lake that happened completely underneath an ice sheet. Good Lord. So I'm updating you, if you care, about what I've been doing lately, and there's going to be more ice sheet glaciation stuff to go. But I think unless I'm really talked out of it, I'm going to be very uninterested in the Wisconsin glaciation, because to me that's been studied to death, and there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there, including Glacial Lake Missoula, but I still want to know what happened to that Spokane flood story, and why are we just erasing that from our narratives? And in case you missed it two episodes ago, one of my main reasons for obsessing over the Spokane ice sheet at Davenport, Washington, with an Ice Age flood channel coming right out from the front of the ice, is that, yep, subglacial flow to make Moses Cooley is no longer a one-off. It's not a freak story. If we have subglacial flow at four or five or six places along the Spokane ice front in Washington, then suddenly water coming out from underneath an ice sheet to make Moses Cooley more than 100,000 years ago is just one of many channels that are being carved in the same way at the same time in our geologic past. That's pleasing to me. And I'm going to continue thinking about it, reading about it, and seeing if I can put more clues together. It's just plain old fun. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast. Conveniently, I'm Nick Zentner. I appreciate your time. Thank you. I love you. And goodbye. <laughs>